Somebody else to say, we'll never be the same in Jesus' holy name. And the church said, amen. 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 And give God a good hand clap one more time. St. John chapter number 19. St. John chapter number 19. This I want you to know God has been working all this week with me, with Tina, with Sister Sissy, the families, new people have come to the Lord. We got a couple people that's happy about that. We got six new baptisms this morning. Six. That's the number of man. That means God says on Easter Sunday, I am here for man. All right. God's going to do some wonderful things this morning. I cannot tell you as I go to preach this morning how God has put this message together. I feel so inadequate to stand before you today to try to preach on what I'm about to preach on. Because it doesn't matter how endowed you are with the Bible, how enriched you are in the gift of revelation, insight into God's word. There is no way to truly explain to you what Jesus went through in his week of passion for you to be able to call upon him and make him your savior. Many people do not even know the story of the Bible. Many people do not even know what Jesus done for us. Many folks do not understand the ages long war that it has taken for you to be able to take a breath this morning. And because of his mercy and his grace, you are here this morning. You are alive this morning. Alive in the last age of man before Jesus comes. In the last days, which means you are the one that are chosen to usher in his kingdom here on this earth. Smile at your neighbor and say, you're chosen this morning. So here we are today in the presence of the Holy Spirit today. We are here today to try to honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the Sunday, the first day of the week that he came out of the tomb. He resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and he spilled his blood on the altar in heaven. Dying at the same place where Adam was buried. Well, people don't know that. Dying at the same place Adam was buried. Ascending to heaven. Spilling his blood on the altar and then going down into the depths of hell. And in the depths of hell, taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave from the enemy. Preaching to the bound spirits down there. Resurrecting the old saints as they appeared in Jerusalem. And walked door to door and said hello to their family. And in just a few minutes, they were gone. And forever, as he went to heaven, he sat down on the right hand of the Father. And sent the Holy Ghost to convict you and empower you and give you the strength to be able to live a Christian life here on this earth. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. St. John chapter number 19, verse number 28 through 30 this morning. 
If you have that this morning, shout amen. amen. And the scripture says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it in, on his, to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. I'll say it again. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. Look at your neighbor right beside you this morning and say, no matter what your it is, no matter what your it was, no matter what your it will ever be, it is finished. Since everybody just holler out and say, it's finished. That's my title this morning. It is finished. It is finished. Bless the reading of your word, Lord. Anoint me to bring this the way you want me to bring it. Open the hearts of your people to receive. Let nobody leave here today still fighting their it. Let nobody leave here today without the finished work of Jesus Christ applied to their life and their heart and their soul and their spirit. Father, today, we're going to break out this word to your people. We're going to annihilate the enemy. We're going to stuff this word down the enemy's throat. We're going to dare him to take another stand. For at your word on the cross, you said he was done. It is finished. And we stand here today proclaiming in victory the battle cry and the victorious words of Jesus Christ. It is finished this morning. We have no more battle to fight. It's over with. And we give you the praise and the glory for it all in Jesus' name. And someone shout amen. amen. Tell your neighbor again, so no matter what your it was, no matter what your it is, no matter what it is, will ever be, it is finished. I can go home right there if you got it. I can give you enough of power right there to go out there and just waylay the enemy and knock him out. I gave you enough of power right there in those three words to take your foot and stomp his brains out of his head. I gave you enough of power to be more than a conqueror and leave this house with victory today in your finances, victory in your marriage, victory in your church, victory in your business, victory in your health, victory in every avenue of your life because it is finished. Now, the Bible opens up in chapter number one of Genesis, and the first verse, actually the very first word of that verse in the Hebrew is Bereshith. And in that word Bereshith, there lies a prophecy. And within that prophecy, when you analyze that word Bereshith, it literally comes out and it tells us that the Son of God will die and be put to death by the hand of God himself for the salvation of man. So from the very beginning, through the, uh, the, at the beginning of the word, and the very first word in the Bible, God already preached the gospel. God already said that his son was going to die. And he said there that his death would be the salvation of man. And he said there that he would die at the hand of God. Now, and all through that, from that point on, in 66 books through 40 authors, over 6,000 years, 
1189 chapters and 31,102 verses and 783,187 words, a story is told. And that story is told through seven different ages. From Lucifer's rebellion as he led a third of God's angels up to him in rebellion through the creation of Adam to the call of Abraham all the way through to the last chapter of Revelation. These 40 authors over a 4,000 year period of time wrote in complete unity about a war, a compelling story about a war that has been raging since the dateless past and a war that come to a climax on the hill called Golgotha and it will come to a consummation and a completion and manifest itself here on the earth in the book of Revelation when the Lord of Lords and the Kings of Kings splits the eastern skies and comes down and once and for all puts the enemy where he belongs. I'm here to tell you this war is told from beginning of the book all the way to the end of the book. It is a cosmic war about Lucifer who later becomes Satan and all of his imps and all of his devils of hell and all the angels of God and all the glory of God and all the entities up in heaven they are meeting in one place and they are fighting for the gain of your soul or it's lost that story is riveting. As you begin to read it, the red reader is kept on the edge of their seat. As you begin to understand it, as you read through the stories of how men who are influenced by the demonic spirits, how they are influenced by perverted spirits, how they are influenced by seducing spirits, how they are influenced by the spirit of jealousy and commit commit murder and began to do things against mankind themselves because the enemy himself hates man because man was God created and God created him as a replacement for the 33 angels, 33% of angels that rebelled against God himself. And God made every avenue that he can. God made every effort that he could to always keep the avenue open for man to be redeemed and one day live with him up in heaven and around his throne and enjoy him in the heavenly courts up in heaven. And that battle starts in the dateless past. It's called the anti-chaotic age. If you hadn't been here on Wednesday night, that is the age where Lucifer ruled this earth. And he began to rule it for billions of years. And through that time, he was the fourth in line to the kingdom of God. He was, if you will, the high priest of the angels. He was built with instruments on the inside of him. That's why he uses music against all of you young children to try to get you wrapped up in something other that you shouldn't be wrapped up into. He has got drums and he's got organs and he's got trumpets and all kinds of cornets in his own body. His organs is his musical instruments and he would sound off in the sun of the morning and as the high priest, so to speak, of the angels, he called all the angels to come together in heaven and to worship the one and only true living God. And he served God faithfully for billions of years until iniquity was found in him. One day as he was in the the, the courts of heaven, he began to realize and understand that God himself had determined that one day in the future, sometime in the future, that Jesus, his son, was going to leave heaven and he was going to leave that planet and come down here to earth and move his throne from heaven to earth. And eventually that God himself would leave the planet heaven and come down to earth and he would set up his throne here on earth forever. And because Lucifer, 
Lucifer was being thrown out of his throne. He got angry. He got upset and started playing the role of a victim. Hello, anybody? Anybody with me? And he began to tell everybody how bad God was and how bad he was treated. And he got so good and he got so polished at his particular message that over many, many millions of years, he got so good that he seduced some of the strongest angels that there were in heaven and the power. And when he realized that he had that much on his side, he finally launches his attack with all of these powerful angels to go up into heaven and to overthrow God and to take over not only the earth's throne, to take over the whole universe's throne and throw God out of that throne. But let me tell you what happened. God showed him exactly who he was. The minute that he showed up in darkness, light shined and immediately like lightning he was thrown out of heaven and he was thrown down to the earth. And in so doing so, God got so angry with all of the subjects that were living on the earth at that time and all of the angels that rebelled against him. God reached his hand down and he grabbed earth and he turned it completely upside down. That's how big your God is. And when he turned it upside down, all the mountains went away. All the cities went away. Everything that lived on this earth was killed immediately. All of a sudden, there was no earth. And for millions and millions of years, this earth became nothing but a chaotic mess. It was nothing but a swirl of nothingness. And God had literally, when he began to create the earth, the Bible says that he created the earth so that it could be inhabited. That was his purpose. He wanted some subjects here on this earth that he could have and mirror or heaven here on this earth because it was his choice to leave from heaven and come down to earth. Don't you know you're living today in God's kingdom no matter how many times the devil tries to claim it. Someone shout amen. So he decides after a period of a long time like a mama when she sees her child in all types of trouble literally destroyed in the love of a mother he began to move down to his creation the earth and he wanted to begin to balance back out his creation. He wanted to make sure that what it was created for and what purpose it was created for that it was going to be fulfilled. And in age number two he began to recreate some things. That age number two is called the antediluvian age before the flood. And he's began to come in there. God showed up and he showed up in the darkness and with three words. Everybody hold out and say three words. Look at somebody else and say, no, not three words. One word. He said, let there be. In the English, it was three words, but in the the Hebrew, it was the word heya. It means heya. It means let there be. Let there be. He said, let there be be. Let there be light. And God, that word there literally means that God took a great big deep breath and he sighed and he took a great big deep breath because he knew the challenge that he had at that point in time was going to take a lot out of him. And he took a great big deep breath and he began to set himself to go to work and he said, huyah. And when he said huyah, light began to happen. When he said huyah, let there be. There was a firmament that he placed in between heaven and earth and he set that firmament there so you could live in an oxygen tent. So oxygen is trapped so that you can believe. Everything that God did when he hollered out, hey y'all, he was saying, I'm going to present this earth and make sure that it can be inhabited. Everything I put here on it will take care of your life and sustain life. And later on, he said, let the earth bring forth herbs and grass and let it bring forth yielding seed, trees that are yielding fruit. Then he said, hey y'all again. And he said, let there be lights up in the firmament as he brought order back to the firmament. And later on, he said let there be waters that were literally are teeming forth with great big whales and great big fish and ever living creature and then he said let the earth bring
bring forth the living creatures. That word means animals with souls like your dog, like your cat, like your fish. All of those have a soul. They may not have a spirit, but they have a soul. And God brought them there for the aid and the betterment of man. And at the end of his deep breath, he looked at the council up in heaven. He looked at the sun and he looked at the Holy Ghost and he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them have dominion over the whole earth. And there he was. God's crowd masterpiece of creation. Wonderfully and fearfully made. It will take God 7,000 years of birth of men here on this earth. Generation after generation. Decade after decade. Century after century. Millennium after millennium. To replace the 33% angels that literally rebelled against God. 7,000 years it will take God to birth enough of men here on this earth to populate his heavenly court that went against him. It is here that a 7,000 year war ensues between God himself and between the devil with man as the target, with man as the prize, with man's soul as the accolade, as man's soul and the gain or the loss of his soul. I want you to know the reason why you're here today is because God has already fought for you. The reason why you're here today and your heart is pumping blood through your brains and your lungs are breathing this morning is because God has some point in your life rose up off of his throne and he fought for you. Look at somebody say he fought for you. Satan is what we call him now. Lucifer is now known as that. And he begins to launch his first attack. And as he launches his first attack, he brings it against man and his family. He comes against man's heart. He comes against his emotions. He comes against his love of God and his love of himself, his love of his wife, his love of his children. And he begins to attack the family. And even still today, he's still attacking the family. And man, as you well know, falls. And immediately, or by all I would say, immediately. God intervenes and God shows up in the garden and he begins to be looking for Adam and he says, Adam, wherefore art thou? Look at someone and say, where are you at this morning? Where are you at this morning? And when they find him, man has failed and he enters into the garden and he redeems them, killing an animal and clothing them with skin and blood and he gives them a period of time in their life that they can live free of the, the very judgment that should have fell on them for eating that fruit off of the tree and violating the law of God. And in the middle of that garden, Satan is told that redemption will come through the seed of a woman. Look at that woman right beside of you and say, do you got a seed? No, women don't have a seed. What God was saying is that it ain't going to be the seed of the man that's going to redeem the human race. It's going to be the seed of a woman that redeems the human race. You see, when a woman is pregnant, the blood of the woman and the man does, or the baby does not mix. It is the seed of God that is placed in the woman and it becomes all God and all woman at one time. And Satan has told them right there that there is a seed of a woman that is going to come and he will come sometime in the future and he will come in and he will deliver a, a, a defeating blow against the kingdom of hell. And the war ensues. 
And the seed of the woman is born. His name is Abel. And uh, I'm sorry, his name is Cain. And right behind him is twin brother Abel. And the devil says, I got to kill him. I got to take him out. I got to make it to where this is not where God can bring the seed that is going to destroy me. And here he comes in and he enters into the heart of Cain. And in the spirit of jealousy, he raises himself up. And he goes against Abel. And Cain kills Abel. And God immediately intervenes again. Look at somebody and say, God, fight for me again. And he showed up and he, uh, he impregnated through Adam uh, Eve and Eve birthed another seed by the name of Seth. And Satan at that point in time realized that if he tried to kill everybody that he wouldn't ever be able to stop the seed. He said, so the only way that I can destroy what God is going to try to do is I got to come in here and pollute the bloodline of this man so that a pure and righteous seed cannot be born through the woman. And little did he know that God already had that worked out in his brain and he already knew and understood that it didn't matter what hell tried to do that Jesus was going to come now through 40 and 2 generations but the devil he was literally insisted that he was going to fight against it and what he done is him and his counsel got together and they began to pray or I'm talking talk about things and counsel over things and they came up to a decision that the fallen angels that had rebelled against God would come down to the earth in the form of a man and they would show themselves to be beautiful they would show themselves to to be mighty and strong in everything that a woman would want. And the woman began to marry the angels and a new race was born. And it got so good at that there that he got so good at polluting the bloodline of Adam that there was only eight souls left on the earth before to bring Jesus in. And God intervened again. Look at somebody say, he fought for me again. Oh my God, I'm so glad today that God fought for me. How many of you here is glad today that he fought for me? For 1,656 years, angels married women populating this world with a hybrid race, a part spiritual race, and a part, part human race. Some of you may not never understand that, but if you'll read the word of God, the pure bloodline of Adam almost became extinct, but God intervened one more time, and he said, I'll give man 120 years to straighten it out with me, but if they don't straighten it out with me, then I'm going to destroy this world one more time in Genesis chapter number 3 verse 15 he said that the, that the seed of woman was coming and when it comes and that word it, it means who he that's what the word is in Hebrew that the word it the seed when it comes it's going to bruise your head somebody holler out and say amen he said there, he said, I'm going to bring it, that their power, that seed through woman. And when it, who he is, when he comes and reveals who he is, he will knock you out of your kingdom. He will bring the generational power of God and break down the head of your kingdom. And by coming down from the Father, he will do it in a generation somewhere in the future. And he'll take back the inheritance that you stole from him when you got Adam to eat that fruit. Y'all following me this morning now. Thank God God fought for us. Everybody holler out and say, God fought for me. God told Adam, God told Eve, God told Satan right there in the middle of that garden. He said sometime, somewhere, somehow, someone in a future generation, a seed of the woman, someone will arrive in that very same way that you use the serpent to poison my kingdom. The very same way he's going to bruise your head. That word means he's going to snap you just like a serpent. He's going to snap your kingdom and go against you and strike your kingdom to the point to where there's so much poison put in your kingdom that the kingdom of hell is going to come down. That's why in this church we sing Satan, your kingdom.
kingdom is coming now. That's why we shout out and we sing hallelujah anyhow. God has won the battle. Look at somebody and say, he fought for me. Amen. He got so close to stopping it with eight souls. And God again counterattacks with the flood. Wiping everything off the face of the earth and starts again with Noah. And at that point in time, he brings in another dispensation. And from Noah to 20,021, in this age that we are living in, we are living in a cosmic spiritual war that is going on around us daily. Right on. Although at the cross it was finished, we still fight that war today. Are y'all with me today? So Satan again decides that he's going to try to pollute the bloodline of man again. And he does the very same thing. And the, the angels, he was so good at it. The angels go again and they began to marry the earth women at that point in time. And all of a sudden he gets close to again. And God raises up a man by the name of David and anoints him a man after his own heart. And give him the power to go in and destroy every giant that there was here on the earth. And he gives him the party to go in and wipe out their whole kingdom. And Satan is not happy with that there at that point so Satan gets a little upset about why he's going he's trying everything he can to stop it so he goes back and when God calls Abraham and he carries his people over into Egypt and he slaps them in servitude for 400 years but God intervenes again look at somebody and say God fought for me and God delivers his people out of Egyptian bondage and he brings them into the promised land and Satan kept striking over and over and over and over again in Assyria came in in 720 BC and they overtook the nation of Israel and carried them captive a little bit later on in 536 BC here comes Babylon and Babylon takes them in to, to, to captive and an unbelieving king by the name of King Cyrus issued a decree that Israel had a right to survive because God intervened again. I want you to know, and some of you may not like it, but God is intervening right now in the United States of America in the politics. He is doing something in the politics and you need to hear what God is doing. You need to get off your high horse and hear God speak through the politicians in this world, in this nation right now. God began to bring the children of Israel back together and he used King Cyrus to do that there. And then Satan strikes again in 167 B.C. and he goes in and the Roman kingdom. They go in in that period of time and they stop. When Oantius Ephesus, he comes in and for three years he runs the temple and he takes them over and he stops all of the worship that there is to the one and only true living God for three years. Three years goes on and all of a sudden God raises up a man by the name of Justin or Judas Maccabees and Judas Maccabees goes in and destroys that army that is holding down that temple and restores the public worship back again. So for 42 generations, we see war after war, intervention after intervention, a strike from the enemy and a counterstrike from God, a counterattack from the enemy and a counterattack from God. For 42 generations, everything that hell is trying to do is stop Jesus from coming. But God said there is a seed of a woman that's going to strike the kingdom of hell and he's going to do it just like a serpent did to my kingdom. The very thing that you tried to do against me, I'll turn it around on you and I'll show you that I am God. Don't you fret here this morning my beloved brother and my beloved sister. It don't matter what hell is trying to do to take you out. The very thing that hell tries to hold you down with God will take it and turn it around and use it as a serpent strikes in the kingdom. Is there anybody alive in this church this morning? God said I've already fought on your behalf. Amen. 42 generations. 42 generations of slavery. 
42 generations of despair. 42 generations of servitude. 42 generations of defeat. And despite all the strikes of the enemy, in 4 BC, a star shines up to announce unto the shepherds out in the middle of the field that there is a Savior born for the world. And from 4 B.C. to 30 A.D., a fellow by the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. His name in, in English is Joshua. And his name in Greek is Jesus. His name in Hebrew is Yeshua. HaMashiach means he is the Messiah. He fulfills in his 30-year, 33-year period of time 300 Old Testament prophecies as he brings back the kingdom of God into the world. God said, devil, you took 33% of my angels angels away from me and I got to work 7,000 years to get back what you took from me but you know how I'm going to do it I'm going to send my son of God through my servant Mary and a seed of a woman is going to show up and for 30 and 3 years every year he's going to labor and every year that he works here on this earth he's going to provide the way that man can come in and overtake the replacement that you took out of my kingdom and it will be that I will stand before you and your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. Everybody here needs to be shouting this morning because God intervened. Amen. But immediately upon his arrival Satan again strikes like a serpent killing every boy that there is under two years old. God turns around and strikes again by hiding his, his Messiah, his son in Egypt. And for some 30 years, he hides him in secrets. And God begins to intensify and tell Jesus that it's time for him to make an arrival. And God raises up a fellow by the name of John the Baptist who preached repentance and the baptism. And to get back right with God because the Savior was coming. And out on the Jordan River one day, Jesus comes walking around the corner and all of the people that were gathered there, John said, Behold, there is the Lamb of God that will bring salvation to this earth. The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And from that point on for three years, Carolyn, on 23 different occasions, Satan tried everything he could do to kill Jesus. On 23 different times, he used other people to take Jesus out. On 23 different times, he did everything he could to kill him before he ever made it to the cross. 23 different times, uh, he tried to kill him and throw him off of cliffs. He tried to get him to be strong. He tried to arrest him. He tried to stop him. He done everything he possibly could do. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tried to take him out before he ever went to the cross. But Jesus set his face like flint, and he said, I'm going to the cross. Everybody holler out and say, he went to the cross. Now, here we are in the last week of his earthly life. Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's just celebrated at a party that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. Lame men have been healed. Blinded eyes have been opened. The Jews have taught for 4,000 years that only the Messiah could touch people that were crippled and they could walk. Only the Messiah would have the power to lay their hands upon the blinded eyes and they open up. Yeah. Only the Messiah would have the power over death to look into a grave and holler out and call someone to come up out of the grave. Yeah. All of these were the signs that the Messiah was there. Oh, 
And he proved it right in front of them. For 4,000 years they said there's a man coming in the generation that is going to heal the lame and he's going to heal the sick and he's going to raise up the people that are dead. But when it happened unto them, the religious crowd got happy and upset and jealous and said he ain't coming and taking our power from us. It's the last week of his earthly life. And he comes in to proclaim his sonship and his deity and that he's Lord of Lords and he's King of Kings riding on the donkey. And the Bible tells me that the whole city of Jerusalem was shaken. The whole city was rocked. The whole city was vibrating and shaking and quaking as the crowd shouted out, Hosanna unto the son of David. Hosanna, Hosanna. That word Hosanna means you're our savior. You're our deliverer. You're our trouble keeper. You're the one that brings us out of trouble. Hosanna means save us now. They were acknowledging that the Messiah was there. And on one day, he began to move into the city of Jerusalem and as he walked into the temple he walked in the temple bed and he saw just how much of a mockery worship had become and it made him mad Glenn. and he grabbed a whip and he turned over the tables and he told them how it was and he drove the people out of the temple that were in it for their own personal gain look at that person right beside of you are they here today for their own personal gain are they here today just to honor Jesus because it's Easter or are they here today because they believe that he is the Lord of Lords the King of Kings the bread of heaven that he is the Son of God I want you to know here today we need to realize that God showed up in the temple and when he went there in the temple he made every religious person that there was every Sanhedrin member every chief priest member every servant of the high priest every servant of the temple he made them mad and in day one it got so bad that he left the feast early to avoid being killed. You see, you don't see all this on television. Right there in the middle of that temple, he again laid his hands upon the lame and he laid his hand upon the blind and in front of the chief priest, in front of the high priest, in front of all the servants, in front of the Sadducees, in front of the Pharisees, in front of the Herodians, in front of the Essenes, he proved that he was the Son of God because the Son of God was the only one that could raise up crippled people. He was the only one that could clear up blinded eyes and they had taught it for years but when the gospel and the truth showed up in front of their eyes, they didn't want to lose their power. Don't that sound like today? Amen. All of these were signs that the Messiah would come. Here he is. He leaves. The next morning he gets up and on the way there, he's hungry. And he looks at a fig tree. I'm sorry, on the way back out the first day, he sees a fig tree and he goes to get something to eat because he's been ministering all day long and the fig ain't there. It ain't blossoming in its season. And the fig tree is always symbolic of the nation of Israel. And there he was saying and giving us an insight into a prophecy that is saying that the nation won't ready to receive him. It wouldn't blossom at that point in time. And until, everybody ever holler to say until, until Israel accepts him as the Savior, as the Son of God, as Yeshua, that the fig tree will be cursed and it will dry up in its fruits. And the next morning on the way in, they pass by the fig tree and they see the fig tree dried up in its root. And the second day early in the morning, the spirit of jealousy has worked against the chief priest. It worked against the scribes. They've come against them. And the second day, the chief priest, they began to enlist all of the elders of the nation of Israel. They go and they get 71 more people. 
people that come and join them to arrest him and to kill him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Herodians, they get together and they began to launch a three-pronged attack to go out and go out there and they get them on their side. The, the literally Pharisees met over in secret. The Sadducees met in secret. The Herodians met in secret. The chief priests, they met in secret with the scribes and the elders and the high priests. And they began to say they're on the second day, although they have shouted out, Hosanna, he is the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's my deliverer. He's my salvation. He's the one that has showed up. He's the promised one. On the second day, the nation goes to him and all the leaders and looks at him and says, why are you doing what you're doing? And by whose authority are you doing it in? So they sit in their mind, they're going to kill him. And they say, we can't just do it in the midst of the crowd because the crowd loves him. So what we got to do is embarrass him and entangle him with his words. So he'll look like a nut, look like an idiot in front of everybody. And on three different occasions in the middle of the temple, they try to do everything they can to them to get Jesus entangled. But Jesus, with the wisdom of God, turns their words right back around on them and shows the congregation just how crazy the chief priests and the elders actually were. But eventually, eventually, in that temple setting, they come across this man that's greedy about money. And they look at him and they say, aren't you his treasure? Yes, I am. Well, I tell you what, if you want to get rich, all you got to do is bring them to us. And when you bring them to us, we'll pay you a good sum of money. Jesus already knew that and already prophesied that. That night in the Last Supper, as we all know the story, Judas dipped his bread into the wine and he left to go and get the high priest and to get the Roman soldiers to come and take Jesus. Jesus takes eight disciples and carries them into Jerusalem. I'm sorry, 11 disciples and carries them across the brook of Credron. And I'll preach on that one day down the road. It's got a very big spiritual significance. But he carries them across the book of Kedron. And eight disciples are set over in the corner and he told them, you can go ahead and go to sleep. But he takes his first cousin that he loves, that he was raised up like a brother and he takes his other first cousin with him and he takes his best friend Peter and he carries them out and he sits down and he says I'm about to die. He said right now I feel like if I can't breathe I feel like right now I'm about to give up the ghost. I'm here to tell you right now this minute if I die here then all that I've done for these 33 years is not going to be worth it. So pray with me for one hour. Pray with me because I've got to get this off of me and he reduces from them a stone cast and he falls down Glenn on his knees and he begins to pray and he prays with all of the power of the enemy against him. The devil trying to kill him. He's fighting death. He's sitting there trying to overcome because he didn't want to die in Gethsemane. He did not pray for the cup of the cross to be taken from him. He said take this cup in your Gethsemane from me. If I am going to be your son then I know I got to die on the cross of Calvary. Take this cup from me and he goes back and his best friend and his brother cousins went to sleep on him in the time of need. Anybody ever had any friend that just went to sleep on you when you needed, needed them? Anybody ever had a friend that said, it don't matter what you go through, I'm here with you, but the minute you need it and they won't know where to be found. 
Anybody ever had a brother in your family that says, I'm your brother, don't matter what you do, but now you're not even talking to him because you need somebody worse than you've ever needed in your life. Don't you understand that feeling to have someone so close to you at that point in time that will not stand up for you in your time of need? Don't you realize that that hurt Jesus in the bottom of his heart? And all of a sudden, here comes Judas, and Judas comes with the folks and kisses him and gives them the betrayal kiss. And they bound him up. And they carry him into Annas, which was the father-in-law of the high priest at that point in time. And Annas was a, a great big religious person, and he was also a big political person. So he wanted to question Jesus first, and he couldn't get nowhere with him, so he sent him over to the high priest Caiaphas. And immediately, an illegal, shammed trial went into play. You see, you couldn't have court in the evening. You couldn't have court in the night. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the Jewish people, under the magnitude and the movement of demonic spirits, they began to literally bring about a mock and a sham trial and try Jesus in the hour of 3 o'clock in the morning. The chief priests, five of them, they were there. Elders, 71, were there. And the Caiaphas, the high priest, he was there. And 24 servants, 103 men were there, literally bringing about an illegal trial. To convict Jesus and send him to death. They got so angry in that trial. They rent their clothes. They said, y'all don't need to hear anything else. He's worthy of death. All 103 of them. With Peter sitting watching. His best friend. 103 of them according to the scripture walked by him. And went... Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. The Bible says over and over and over and over and over again. And after that period of spitting in his face, he's standing there with spittle all over his face out of 103 men, all the germs of hell. 103 men walk up to him with their fist and hit him in the head. Not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over and over and over. We don't know how many times, but I was suffice to say in the period of time that it would take him to go through at least 4,000 punches in his face at that moment. He was hit. Because God intervened for you. Lord, help me preach this the way you want me to preach it. Then after they knocked him in the face, Stanley, they went through another round where 103 men walked up to him and with an open hand slapped him in the face. Not once, not twice. Not three times, not four times. Is there any one of y'all that will stand right here and let me do that to you right now? Spit all over him. His face swollen to the point to where his eyes are shutting. They have beat him 4,000 times in the face at least. They have slapped him 4,000 times in his face. He is beginning not to even look like a man any longer. 
They're mocking him. And then they carry him to Pilate. And his best friend sees him in that situation. And when he sees him, he realizes what he just told him, that he would deny him three times that he had done it. Can you understand the pain that Jesus had on the inside of him? In that hour, when he was beaten to a bloody pulp just because he loved you, he said, I did not have nobody take my life. I laid it down. He done it for you. They sent him over to Herod. Herod was an Asian Jew. He was the one that was a politician leader. He was the one that there was a crowd called the Herodians that believed that that's where the Son of God was going to come from. And he was the only hope that Israel had at that point in time. And Herod got angry with him. And all of his army began to mock him and revile him and to treat him. I can't tell you what, I can't say a whole lot against Herod. They just made some complaints and they reviled him a little bit and tried to hurt his feelings. They didn't beat him. They didn't slap him. They didn't do anything like that. But what Herod did is they said he's got to go to Pilate. And when they went over to Pilate, Pilate looked at him and they paired him to a trial. And Pilate said, I can't see anything wrong that this man has ever done. And he went out and he told him, he said, this man ain't never done anything wrong. I can't put him to death because of that there. And they started telling him he is guilty of the crime of blasphemy and he needs to be put to death. But we don't have a law that we can kill him. We got to give him to you and we want you to kill him. Pilate was not ready to do that there. And he literally said, well, here's what I'm going to do then on the Passover season he said I'm going to be able to take your custom which allows you to release one prisoner that you have and when I release that prisoner you can have a choice between that prisoner and Jesus and what they did is they went and got the most notorious, the most dangerous the most murderous and most thievery of a guy that there was by the name of Bar Abbas which means son of the father and they brought him out in front of the crowd and on this side stood the son of the father Barabbas and here was the son of the living God Jesus and Pilate said who do you want? Who do you want? Who do you want in your life? And the crowd cried out Barabbas here today in this church God is laying before you the son of the living God and he's laying before you the son of the father the devil and you got a choice to make before you leave this congregation either you're going to cry out crucify the son of God or you're going to say I want to have the son of the father Barabbas they hollered out and they said crucify him Pilate didn't want to do it and Pilate said okay what I'm going to do then is I'm going to scourge him and I'll give him to you to crucify him they took the cat of nine tails those of you don't know what that is that was leather straps like my belt nine of them wrapped up and put in one thing and in that belt, there were bones. In that belt, there was glass. In that belt, there was metal. And it was long enough to where when you were struck with it one time, it wrapped all the way around you. And when it wrapped around you, it stuck in you. And when it stuck in you, they had to pull it off of you. And when they pulled it off of you, it ripped all the way around. And for 498 lashes, Jesus tied to a hitching post. She took every one of them because God intervened for you. 
Each time that that strap would hit him, it would lodge into his vessel and it would rip it open. And the longer that he was there, his ribs began to be seen. His organs began to be seen. He poured in blood. He almost died. Most people never walked through it. No, most people never made it through that type of a slashing. But there that day, God gave him enough of power. Jesus had enough of willpower. Jesus had enough of determination that even though he should have died right there and the devil was trying to kill him right there before he ever went to the cross, he stayed there and didn't open his mouth because God intervened for you. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Then on top of that, they stripped him of his clothes. They put a purple robe on him. They took the reed that was out of his hand. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And 600 men walked up to him with the reed in his hand and hit him on the head. 600, bang. Each time they'd hit him, the thorns would go all in his head. How many has ever cut your face? It don't like to stop bleeding, does it? I cut mine right here this morning. It don't feel good, Glenn. But each time they hit him on the top of the head, that crown of thorns went deeper into his skull. And he didn't move. He didn't fall down. He stood there in the love that he had for you because God intervened for you. When they finished with that, they threw the reed away. And 600 men in the Roman man, this is going to get graphic this morning, walked up to him and in his face. Over and over and over and over and over. And not only that, after they finished all of that, the Bible says that they walked up to him with their open palm and they slapped him twice and kept going around again. They beat him to a bloody pulp again. Even after he had been scourged. Even after they had hit him in the head. Because God intervened for you. Then they took him and they laid a hundred pound timber on the top of his shoulder. And as he began to go down to the hill of Golgotha, he was trembling in pain. Every step was in agony. And all of a sudden, he couldn't go no longer. They get a guy by the name of Simon from Cyrene and he carries the cross to Golgotha. And immediately cliff there at Golgotha, they strip him naked as a jaybird. And they lay him down on that cross. And they take seven inch nails. And they drive them in his hands. Seven inch nails. Just like this. Every time it went through his hand, he screamed out in agony. Every time that the hammer hit the top of it, he screamed out in agony. Every time that they hit it and went deeper into his vessel, he screamed out in agony, but he did not get up and leave, Nathan, because he intervened for you. Amen. Not only did they put it in his hand, they put it in his feet. And they put him on the cross in a crouched position because as he hung there like this in a crouched position, he couldn't breathe. 
So when he had to breathe, Feldman, he would have to push up with his feet like this. And the vessel, the, 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 the nail would go through his hand even more and rip him. And every time he took a breath for six hours, he was in agony just to breathe. But he didn't come down off the cross. But we can sit house at the house because we got a headache. We forget what Jesus done for us. We forget what he went through for us. The minute they put him on the cross, they tried to give him vinegar and gall, which is what we call morphine today, and he would not take it. He said, I am going to feel every pain. I'm going to feel every agony. My muscles are going to be in every spasm. Every vessel on the inside of me is literally, every organ on the inside of me is going to go through death because I am the only one that can die on this cross for the man of God, for the men of God here on this earth. And God said, I intervene for you. Slap that beside of you. Slap that beside of you and say, God intervened for you. Seven inch nails. Seven inch nails. The word seven is S to start with. Inch is I. Nail is N. And by seven inch nails, Betty, he nailed sin to the cross. Your sin was nailed to the cross. Yes. And he knew each time, Vicky, that that hammer hit the hell, that there hit the head of that nail, that he was nailing Sissy's nail, sin to the cross. He was nailing Cliff's sin to the cross. That hammerhead was there because Katrina's sin was nailed to the cross. That hammerhead hit it this time because Ben's sin was nailed to the cross. That hammer hit this hell head this time because Living Water Worship Center's sin was being nailed to the cross. Seven inch nails nailed my sin to the cross. My sin offering by the name of Yeshua Hamashiach when he was nailed there took every one of my sins away because God intervened for me. They hung him there between two thieves. That's been the story all along, but the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 27, I believe it's verse number 44, that there were thieves that railed on him. There was more than one thief that railed on him. There were more than two that were that were crucified with him. And the thieves were there. The Bible also says in another place, two malefactors were there. So there were at least four that were nailed on the side. He was in the center cross. And there on that cross, everybody passing by him used a beast of language and said, Oh, you said you'd tear down this temple and build it in three days. You, I know that you saved that one and you brought this one up and that one's walking today and that one's living today and that one's seeing today because you touched him. But you said you could tear the, kingdom, the, the temple down in three days. And if you're such a great big man that you say you are, come off the cross. You see, when you live the way you're living in your life, you're doing the very same thing you're That's telling right. Jesus you need to come off the cross. That's right. These reviled him. About 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun begins to obscure itself in darkness. It refuses to shine. For three hours, God can't take it anymore. And he turns his back. And he can't see Jesus. Have you ever talked to anybody with their back turned to you? 
Jesus called us out, Eloi, Eloi. My father, my father, why heart? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God forsakes him and has separated Jesus from the Father. In the middle of that darkness, right at the end of it, Jesus gets enough of power on the inside of him as he rears up on the bottom of his feet. And he takes a great big breath and he says, It is finished. And the earth begins to quake. When he hollered out, it is finished, up in heaven, heaven began to rejoice. When he hollered out, it is finished, hell began to tremble. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that rocks splattered and the earth began to quake. And all of a sudden, it said as it began to quake that the power of God showed up. And from the top of the veil all the way down, that it was rent. And they were shown in that hour that there was no other glory in that temple any longer. That Jesus was the Son of God. He hollered out, well, it is finished. And in our word, it is three words. But in Greek, it's one word. It's called tetelestai. It's just one word. And I want to tell you, on that hour, in that moment, in that situation, Jesus reached all the way back to Genesis chapter number 1 and used something that the Father proclaimed to consummate the fact that we can get saved today. Amen. Amen. So allow me to present it with the punctuation. For after these three little words, Thelma, the Bible just simply puts a period. Because a period is a punctuation mark that is used to end something. What intrigues me about these three words, it is finished, is not simply what it was and what was said. What intrigues me about it is not who said it. Who said what was said. It's not the historical or the physiological or the doctrinal order, the epistemological value that it has in it in analyzing what was said. But what galvanized my interest this morning in this brevity of words or the fact that only one word was used at this hour to tell us that. One word was used to say what was said. One word was used to say what was said, but what was said was the most important thing that was said by the most important person that ever lived on the face of this earth. Everybody holler out and say one word. In this point, he was ministering and he was exercising to operating under what I call the one word proclamation. It wasn't forward to Jesus. Some of his best work in his demonstration of the kingdom of Almighty God and his authority took place in the manner of a trifold or a one word statement. Three times he would say a word. And I want you to just remind you of about four of them. The calm, the obvious agitation of the disciples during a raging storm out in the middle of the night as they were out there rowing in, uh, against the contrary wind and the boat was about to flip over. Jesus rose up out of a deep sleep and he looked over and directly into the eyes of the winds that were blowing in the waves and with simplicity and with the presentation of two words, he simply said, three words, I'm sorry, peace be still. Then there was a time that he was attending a home going of a beloved friend and the mourners had been mourning all along and he walks in and he changes the atmosphere all of a sudden and he comes in and everyone that had been grieving and stressing over the loss of their dear brother and all of that stuff there, he came in with a compelling call to the one that is dead to not be dead anymore and he simply used three words and he said, Lazarus, come forth. 
early in his ministry he descended down off of the mountain and he began to teach his disciples how to fast and to pray and there were great multitudes that were all around him and in that multitude there was a leper that began to cry out and to scream out to him and to ask him to heal him and to take care of him and with three words he hollered out and said be thou clean and my most favorite one is the woman with the issue of blood that had spent all of her money and for 12 years she had went to doctor after doctor Mary she had tried to get better and everybody had took her money but in her very act of going in he, she disrupted his direction of his deliverance by literally redirecting his deity toward her dilemma and in the act of desperation and determination she reached out for the hem of his garment and at the point of reaching out and touching him he deliberately and decisively and demonstratively she stood there and he raised up a three worded Christian and he said who touched me God had a way of always saying something in a mighty way see I'm intrigued not at the method or the mindset but more so I'm captivated to why he chose this moment why is it at this particular hour now the four examples that I have mentioned to you, he used all of these three words, these one words, he used them and they were accompanied by miracles. But this is not a time of miracles. This is not a time of miracles. This is not a time or of a time for miracles. It is a time of misery and a time for misery. So why would he use these three words of proclamation if they, if they wouldn't intend it for a presentation of a divine meaning to each and every one of us? And then I realized that it was not just a move for the miraculous that the son's culmination for a father's declaration when G God himself stood out on nothingness and he said let there be man let him be made in my image let him be made in my likeness let him have authority and I know by the three words that God himself used let it be and God Jesus himself said it is finished that is a proclamation that began with let there be but it finished with a proclamation a consummation from Jesus saying it is finished I look back and I see the father's declaration and I see the son's proclamation I see him say let there be God began by using three words let there be you know he could have created it all at one time couldn't he amen but that day he done it in phases. And he brought about it and said, let there be light, let there be waters, let there be life. From that point on into Calvary, the enemy has been trying to do everything he can possibly do and all of his power to disconnect us from the loving power and the saving grace and the promises of God. And sin brought about that separation. No man was able to reconnect us back to God but Jesus himself. But after 40 and two generations, he came and he came in with one word. And there in the Hebraic word of Telestai, and the three words it is finished and by using seven inch nails he brought about the consummation by a three word proclamation saying for mankind here on this earth it is finished everybody in this house just holler out and say it is finished you see, my God is more than just a little babe wrapped up in a swaddling clothes. He's more than just a doctor that walks into the sick room and treats you. He's more than the calmer of a raging sea. He's more than uh, a physics denying a economical, uh, uh, contradicting, a, a literal poverty, repudiating, challenging figure. He was operated in the three-word proclamation. He was king of kings. Somebody say amen. He was the prince of 
of peace. Somebody shout amen. He was the Lord of lords. He was the son of David. He was the son of man. He was the bread of heaven. He was the great I am. He was joy in sorrow. He was hope for tomorrow. He was the son of God. Somebody in this house, give him praise on Easter morning. So when he said it, that one word is inclusive of everything that is in the past, everything that's in the present, and everything that's in the future. Everything that it was, everything that it is, everything it will ever be. Whatever has been a distraction in your life, when he said it, it was being dealt with. Whatever it was that disrupted your business. Whatever it was that disrupts your health. Whatever it was that disrupted your marriage. Whatever it was that disrupted your church. Whatever it was that disrupts your children. Somebody want to start getting happy in this house. Whatever it was that disrupts your family. Whatever it was that disrupts your job. Whatever it is that disrupts your finances. Whatever it is that takes away your joy. Whatever it is that takes away your mind. Whatever it is that literally comes against your will. Whatever it is that comes against your emotion. Whatever it is. It is that was now and being turned over at that point. It was being dealt with and Jesus was taking everything that is your it and turning it over to God right at that moment. Look at somebody and say, let God have it. Let God have it. Let God have it this morning. Whatever it is was dealt with on the cross. Someone shout amen. So if it was depression, God took care of it. If it was oppression, God took care of it. If it was obsession, God took care of it. If it was possession, God took care of it. If it was accusation, God took care of your ear. If it was isolation, God took care of it. If it was persecution, God took care of it. If it was prosecution, God took care of it. Whatever your it was, it was being handled on the cross. Is anybody happy that he said, I gave your it to him? Oh my God, I feel like preaching here this morning. Slap at somebody say, turn it over to Jesus. Say it again, say, turn it on over to Jesus. Living water, turn it over to Jesus. You quit fighting about your head. You quit worrying about your head. You quit worrying about what it is doing to you. You quit worrying about what hell is trying to do to you. You quit worrying about what COVID is trying to do to you. You quit worrying about what hell is trying to do in your life and your family. Turn it over to Jesus. Let Rod Hall down and say, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it, turn it over to Jesus. Whatever it was was handled 2,021 years ago. Oh my God. I'm about ready to shout. The second word. He said, was is. Everybody hold out and say is. is. Now is is the tense of the transformation. Is speaks of the right now. And is also speaks of the back then. And is also speaks of the forever. The is that he uses there is, is in the present, future, perfect tense. Everybody hold out and say amen. He said, whatever your it was, whatever your it will be, whatever your it is, whatever it is, I'm taking care of it right now. And when I take care of it right now, it won't never be it in your life again. It will be took care of forever. You ain't got to be sick no more. You ain't got to be held down with cancer no more. You ain't got to be lonely no more. You ain't got to be wore down anymore. You have God that God took over your it in your life. Nobody should be wore out in the power of God. My it has been handled in the power of God. 
whatever it was, whatever it has been, whatever it will be, whatever it will be in your life, and whatever it is that is prevalent in your life, whatever it was that was prevalent in your life, whatever will be prevalent in your life, it was handled. Is in the case that whatever your it is, or whatever it was, or whatever it could be, is being handled, and it was being handled right now. Somebody shout amen. Smiley, somebody say, I won on Calvary. Oh, the devil don't want to hear this this morning. If you get this in your heart this morning, you'll get to shouting. If you'll get this in your heart this morning, you couldn't sit there on that appeal like you're looking right now. Because whatever it was that's kept you from being what God wants you to be, God said to look at the cross. Go back to the cross. Because on the cross, I handled your head. On the cross, I threw it back to hell. Whatever it was, I took care of it. I handled it. No more do you have to worry about your head. Somebody needs to shout and praise the Lord this morning. What he's saying to you is, there's no denying it. There's no delay in it. There's no hindering in it. There's no impeding. You don't got to wait no more. There ain't no more interfering. Oh my God, are you happy yet? There's no blockage of it. There's no obstruction of it. There's no destruction of it. It's not in past tense because in the future that means that you'll have to wait for it. But because God said I took care of it on the cross of Calvary, you had it 2,000 years ago. It's not optimistic because if it's optimistic, then you got to wait for it a little bit and you got to hold out for it. But God said it is finished and 2,000 years ago it's took care of. It's not pessimistic because you don't have to worry about it. It's already took care of. Everybody hold out and say, it is finished. When he said finished, he said it was completed. When he said finished, he said it concluded. When he said it's finished, he said it terminated. When he said it finished, he said it's over and done with. He said when it's finished, that's the end of it now. When he said it's finished, he said I accomplished it. When he said that was finished, he said I executed it. He said when it was finished, I destroyed it. When he said finished, I fulfilled it. When he said I finished it, he said I'm done and it's over. Arrivederci. It's over with. I'm done with. When he said I finished it, he shot it up. When he said I finished it, he polished off the devil. When he said I finished it, I closed the case down. When I said I finished it, I finalized it. When I finished it, I literally discharged it. When I finished it, I literally carried it out. When I finished it, I wrapped it up. When I finished it, I effectuated it. When I finished it, I attained it. When I finished it, I settled it. When I finished it, I defeated it. When I finished it, I annihilated it. When I finished it, I brought the curtain down on it and his curtain on the devil. Somebody in this house needs to shout out and say it's finished. Whatever your it was, whatever your it will ever be, whatever your it is this morning, tell Satan right now it is finished. Tell Satan the cross was my beginning. The line down was drawn in the sand. On the cross is the end of my striving. On the cross, I was born again. There on the cross, Jesus was forsaken. So I could never be. I, oh, Jesus was forsaken. So I could never be. Oh, my.
my God on the cross there. Jesus was went, went down and destroyed his sin. But I will never be. On the cross there, his grace became my salvation. On the cross there, the gift of God began the work of Calvary. On the cross there, the cross didn't need no addition. On the cross, it didn't need no multiplication. Nothing could be taken away from it. His mercy on the cross was complete for me. His love was not in question. There on the cross, Jesus, God's Son, spoke for me when he said, It is finished. When he hollered that out, Vicky strongholds bow down to the Savior. When he done that there, his words stood final and forever. When he said that there, he assured me that I'd never be shaken and I'd never be alone. He assured me that he alone won it all. He assured me that he had won. He assured me that he was winning. He assured me that he would always win. He assured me when he said it is finished that Christ himself would rise up again. He assured me that grace will be here then. It was there right yonder and it will be there tomorrow. It is done. Mercy won. I'm forgiven. It is finished. He's worthy of your praise because your it has been finished 2,000 years. Look at somebody and say, I said it's, it's finished. So my question to you is, It's why are you walking around like your it still bothers that's right, you? That's right. Can you smile over here because you ain't got no it? Can you shout over here because your it's been obliterated? Can you jump up and down because hell can't do it to you no more? Oh my God. Can you give God some praise because your marriage will always no, it was done. No, it's finished. Oh, yeah. Smile at somebody say, it is finished. Before you leave here today, you're going to have to shout out to the devil and tell the devil, devil, it's finished. I don't care what you're trying to do in my life. It's finished. You might bring that filthy package of disease into my house, but let me tell you what's going to happen. I've been immunized and inoculated with the blood of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stamp it and send it back to sender because it has been finished. I don't have to put up with your mess no more. I've got a Savior that in three words, in one word, told you it's over. It's done with. The curtain came down on your act. Everybody knows who you are. It is finished. Everybody in this house is shout out and say it is finished. No matter what your way it was. No matter what your way it will ever be. No matter what your way it is today. It was finished on the cross. Find somebody and just say it's finished. Glory to God. I feel the power of God this morning. I don't know what your way it is. I have no idea what your way it is. But it don't matter what your way it is. It don't matter at all what your way it is. Because it's finished. There's a line. The strong through the ages. And on that line stands the old. Red Cross.
Well, I've been to the river and I've been baptized. Well, ain't it sweet to be saved? And all these sweet people back here are saved. Amen. And they're letting the world know that that whole life is in And I'm excited. And now the pastor can have it. I need somebody to come here and stand for me. <laughs> They're changing, so I mean, seriously, to testify somebody. Well, I'd like to thank the Lord that I had the opportunity to uh, um, bring my grandson and my great-granddaughter to the Lord. They're both being baptized this morning. So I thank God for that. I'd like to thank the Lord that all of my children are here except for my mountain baby. So I want to thank the Lord for that today. And I want to thank all the women that came along and helped do all the breakfast. Miss Carol, Miss Susan were here at 8 o'clock. And they already had everything cooking by the time we got here. All we had to do was get to get Robbie, you know what the eggs are? You want to go and start hiding? All right, be ready. So by the time they get through, We're just going to video record it and take a picture of the family. Be sure and keep all the children inside now because they're out hiding the eggs, okay? I'm sorry. It is our privilege at Little Water Worship Center to be able to baptize new converts into the kingdom of Almighty God. Amen. Amen. In so doing, Katrina Michelle Hudson has made her proclamation of faith and she has accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I'm proud of her. She's come a long way in a little bit over a year. Amen. She's one of the most faithful members of the church that we have. Yes, she is. And we're thankful for her in her house. If you're thankful for Katrina, say amen. 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 Yeah. Thank you for yourself. We baptize you today 
pray in the name of our Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Proclamation in faith and her acceptance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Even Michelle Hudson has proclaimed that Jesus is her Lord and her Savior, King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We therefore baptize you into his kingdom in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Yeah, <laughs> 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 
new a new operate in a new convert into the kingdom of God. Give y'all a good hand. Amen. Garrison? No, Harrison. Well, I'll tell you these names. Harrison and Bowman. We are glad to have them in the kingdom of God. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, we thereby baptize you into his kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give it just a minute and let's check on the eggs. <laughs> 